1: Well, hello and welcome to TFM's local watering hole for all things outside of Star Trek, and I am just one of the hosts here, Matthew Rushing, and so excited to come at you from the Underdark. Uh, It's not as dark as I thought it would be here, and actually quite nice, except for uh, we keep getting chased by a very, and I do mean very obese dragon, Uh, and with me, as she is every single week, is the one and only christy morris or this week the tiefling
0: oh oh i
1: thought you looked slightly different than normal
0: yeah you know the horns finally came in the tail all of that fantastic it looks it looks good so i i like it
1: and uh can you turn into an owl bear i can't not yet oh dang it because i was like that's gonna come in handy okay keep practicing because we might need that uh you know, and maybe if uh, more people gave us reviews on Apple Podcasts, you would be able to turn into Owlbear. So find us on Apple Podcasts, give us a star rating and review there. Of course, you can also uh, give us a star rating on uh, Spotify. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you're listening, no matter where that is, please make sure you subscribe, and that way you'll get the shows as soon as they become available. You can also, of course, find us on social media. We would love to have you follow us over there at the 602 Club on Twitter, on Instagram at the 602 Club TFM. You can also find us online at Trek.FM. We've got the listeners only discussion group on Facebook called the Babel Conference. You can join. You would just type Babel into the search field there on Facebook and you can find us. Of course, we've also got the entire network on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Trek.FM. And... We would love it if you would go over to patreon.com slash trek.fm and support us over there and make sure all of the shows here keep coming to each and every week. Uh, in fact, Christy, I just thought of an idea today for a VIP room episode to drop over there uh, that you can only get if you are a supporter of us on Patreon. So go over to patreon.com slash FM and see how you can become part of the team and listen to the VIP room. Now, Christy... Uh, Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves, is a movie that is like many movies, especially those, I feel like, of the genre persuasion that kind of end up in development hell for a very, very long time. And this movie is no exception to that. Uh, this movie's been through rights issues. This movie's been through people like super fans, uh, like Joe Manganello writing the scripts uh, and having his version of the film. Uh, we got Chris McKay doing a, a, a version of the film, and it finally came down to Jonathan Goldstein and John Francis Daly. Uh, after they actually left The Flash, they came over to this. And so I, I'm i interested uh, first just because, you know, with the idea that this ha- did have a script from somebody who was a super fan Is that something that you would have been as a player of D&D? Was that something that you were sad to see not come to fruition?
0: Yeah, I have to say, the more that I found out about the background of how this movie came about, um, I don't want to knock anybody because you know sometimes you can end up having a relatively unknown writer that comes in and really blows it out of the water. But as someone who is uh, a big fan of Joe Manganiello as well, and I know that he um, has played on shows like Critical Role that I've mentioned on here before. He's got an actual D&D room in his home where he invites other celebrities to come and play. Um, the man knows how to write a good campaign story. Um, I could see him being an incredible option for writing the screenplay for this movie. So I think that that's a real missed opportunity, honestly.
1: That does make sense to me, and in all honesty, you know, being a, a person who enjoys his work as well, having seen him in many things, and just the, the thought process of somebody coming out this from, you know, pure love of the source, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I can't imagine that that would not have been a good script. Uh, and so, you know, the fact that uh, we had uh, Chris McKay and Michael Gillo, uh they did a script, um And then Jonathan Goldstein and then John Francis Daly, they actually take that script and they create a new version of it, a new draft. And that's the script that we end up getting. And one of the things i I wanted to talk to you about as well, that uh, I thought was was really interesting is you know they they had a very specific kind of vibe that they were going for in the film. Uh, they didn't want it to take itself too seriously, but they didn't want it to be a spoof. Uh, and they looked to things like the Princess Bride and Monty Python and the Holy Grail, the Lord of the Rings, Indiana Jones, um, you know, for some of their inspirations and it, you know, just kind of evoking some of those movies and, in, in the ways that they, uh, and the ways that they had pr- approached things. And so, Again, for you being somebody who is such a big fan, is is that something the where do you feel like they made the right choice uh in what they are using as inspirations and the fact that yes, you know, they're they're not doing a spoof, but the movie does have, you know, kind of a, a fun, light, uh, very um chipper tone to it.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, definitely, I will say the big thing that you want from this kind of movie is something that's going to evoke the source material well. And if you go for something in these kind of genres, that's a natural fit for a movie that's a and d movie. Because in the actual gameplay, it's generally you know, a, a ragtag group of adventurers that all have different backstories that for some reason get drawn together, either a common experience or they somehow find each other and then decide to travel together as a group from then on. So it is that general like swashbuckling adventure story like an Indiana Jones movie or like Princess Bride um, already. And then having people that I think really understand those themes and how to get the material to apply to that um, is what you needed, and that's what they did. So as a person that's a, a player of D&D regularly, I felt like they picked the right kind of vibe for the story to match the material.
1: Yeah, that's that's really good to hear. I, I'm glad that you ended up feeling that way, and, and it, it was something that, uh, as I was walking out of the film with my wife, you know, we were both pretty surprised at the way that we were feeling about the film in, in the sense mm-hmm. that, I you know, we didn't really have any expectations other than the fact that we've seen the trailers and they looked fun, but, you know, we don't play D&D. Uh, we know people that do, like yourself, and we have a friend uh, who lives here and she has a little D&D group she plays with, and yet... I think the thing that really just drew me to the film as I was watching it was the fact that I think that they had set the absolute right tone for the movie. Uh, They had really, I think, done a great... They've done a great job of, like you said, every film that they're drawing for for inspiration is the right type of thing to be drawing from. But the movie uh, that kind of drew me... uh, it, uh, as an uh, another inspiration that I didn't see here uh but I felt like its tone fit very well is you know we talked about the mask of zorro mm-hmm. uh with Antonio Banderas uh and I felt like that movie had also evoked this type of tone where there is some seriousness to it right but there is this wonderful lighthearted nature to it that kind of permeates the rest of the film and it's not taking itself too seriously. It is allowing you to have fun uh, and just enjoy what's on screen and trying to create characters that you can connect with and a story that you connect with. But never, you know, I I feel like never making it, um, I guess, more than it is, right? You know, like we are Mm -hmm. making this based off a game. And so... You know, just like uh, any movie that's based off uh, the game that they have done, like Jumanji or something like that, where it's like, you have to have the right tone and feel, and I just feel like, to me, that was one of the best parts of the film here for me, is, is that they had done, I thought, a very good job of knowing exactly what inspirations to pull from, but... Knowing exactly how to craft a film that a very, I think, large audience is going to gravitate towards.
0: That was the other thing I was going to ask you was, you know, as a person who's not an active player of Dungeons and Dragons, did you feel it was still accessible to a mainstream audience?
1: You know, I think because I've spent so much time with things like Lord of the Rings and you know, other things, I mean, Lord of the Rings was one of the major inspirations for D&D in the first place, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and so that and having read other fantasy, you know, I've read a bunch of the Wheel of Time series and and other uh, fantasy genre books, and so I didn't feel like it felt all that strange, you know, to be in this world where all of these type of creatures all live together of course we watch witcher too we we talk about that here on the on the show mm-hmm. and so you know and, and in many ways i think witcher itself is is something that owes a lot of itself to something like D, and so no i i i mean neither my wife and i and and my wife doesn't read as much fantasy as i do and she doesn't watch all the fantasy shows that I have, but we, you know, watch plenty together. And we we both thought it was fantastic in that sense. We had no issues understanding what's going on with the story. And, you know, I think they do a great job of explaining what you need to know coming into it. Uh, and give you just enough information without overloading you with information, which I'm sure you could do. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, and I'm sure, you know, there's probably things where, you know, there'd be that fan that it's like, well, actually, um, but <laughs> I feel like this movie just gives you everything you need to enjoy the film itself and not ever feel lacking. Like mm-hmm. I never felt like, like, what is that? Like, why is that a thing? You know? Um, so I, which is great. I mean, that's exactly what you want.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I just wanted to make sure since that's a different perspective that I wouldn't have at this point, you know, that it also still made sense and felt right to you guys um, and that it seemed that they weren't overloading you, which is good to hear Mm -hmm. because I didn't feel that way either. I, I did really think that they did that well. And, you know, I just wanted to add, too, I think that you had to have good direction in the story and of the actors because otherwise, too like D&D itself is supposed to be variable so that you can have all kinds of different races and classes and settings and still have some kind of story to tell so it's not like there is just one D&D story that could easily be made into a movie they had to come up with that to bind it right. all together
1: yeah that's a i mean that's a great point i think uh you know and i know from having worked at a place like Barnes and Noble and stuff, there are tons of role playing games that aren't even D anD D, right? Right. You know, yeah. There, there are so many of these types of games now because of the popularity of D anD D. And so, which brings me to a really interesting question, because you know, I don't normally, I feel like, come into things being kind of a complete novice, um, and yet that's where the position that I'm in, and so. I know, bringing this from game to screen, you know, there were some dust-ups online about some things about how D&D people felt about certain things that they had heard or read or found out about the movie or whatever that they weren't happy about. But as a player of D&D and a lover of it, Christy, I'm fascinated to hear your thoughts on what did they bring this to life? Well, did you enjoy this? And did you think that they did a good job with something that you're so familiar with?
0: Well, for sure, I will say I'm a little bit more forgiving than probably some people are because I think that, well, I know that there is such a vast amount of information and like I said, options with D&D campaigns um, that there is no way you're going to be able to include, to include it all. It's just impossible. And especially with making a film and not a series, you have a limited amount of runtime to get it in and tell a good story. So I'm OK with them saying these are the highlights. And then maybe that piques people's interest to go and play D&D on their own later, which, I, hey, I hope it has fingers crossed. Um so I thought overall they did a really good job about, like you said, like including details that matter and are going to excite players, but also not overwhelm newcomers um, and still have an enjoyable movie. And, you know, I just wanted to mention some of the things that in case you're not a player and like you, Matt, um, would maybe not have noticed about the movie that they did include. Um, there was a D&D movie prior to this, by the way. That was terrible, partially because the whole thing that matters first is the setting, and that was something that they did very well here. Was they actually set the entire story in an actual D anD D world that campaigns can be played in in the actual game, um, and that's the world of Faerun in the Forgotten Realms. So automatically, they're setting it in a recognizable place that would be the most well known place to do it. Then after very that, very cool. Yeah, and, and then after that, they're including, you know, you probably did notice there are different races that you can play. So they have um, the Tiefling, who is the uh, druid that can shapeshift. They have the human, who is the bard. They have the half-elf, which is a little bit harder to tell because they disguised his ears a little bit, but Simon the sorcerer. Um Obviously, Holga's ex-husband is a halfling, although it's a little hard even for me to tell if he was supposed to be a halfling or a gnome, but he's a halfling. Um, And then dwarves. Um, And there's plenty of others aside from those, but those are some common ones that they showed in the movie. Um, They also obviously had all the classes, which are sort of like what your job is in the D&D world. So being a bard... um, Every class is designed to have a specific function in a group. So, bards are great because they're versatile, but they're not made to do damage. They're made to support the group when they need healing. Um, They have a feature called inspiration where I could, like, give you extra points to be able to do something even better. Ooh. Yeah. So, that's why they usually have an instrument and they inspire people with their song. Um. The Paladin is really well-known, which is actually Joe Manganiello's most well-known character. Archon the Cruel uh, was a Paladin. Um, But uh, Paladins are known as being like superheroes as far as battle. Um, And they're usually, like you could kind of tell with the actor playing this one in the movie, he was very religious and could definitely be described as a law-abiding good person. Right. And so you also have things like that where, you know, you get into someone's alignment where they're lawful but they're not good and they're um not lawful but they are good, you know. Or chaotic neutral. Exactly, which I love. I know that one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how else would you describe me, Matt? <laughs> um mm, true. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so I don't want to get too in the weeds, but so you have the bard, the paladin, the druid, the sorcerer, uh, Holga was a barbarian, and then Forge, you may not have known, but he was a rogue, technically, which means they're not predictable.
1: Um, I'll play your game, you rogue.
0: Yeah. (laughs) And then they also had some common game enemies that you would encounter in a fight. Um, So, for example, in the battle in the uh, arena, they faced a mimic, which was the chest that had teeth and a tongue. Um, They basically can mimic doors, trunks, safes, anything that might be touched, and then attack someone. Um, The gelatinous cube, that was the giant cube, obviously, that sucks uh, people that in. that's great. Yeah. Uh, I actually avoided one of those in my own game one time by flying over it. So just a tip. Um, and then they even had the displacer beast, which was the panther with the tentacles. So some actual game villains um, in the movie, which was nice. Um, and especially the red wizards of Thay um, were a big one so they actually um are huge in the game because um technically you know the whole thing that they deal in is necromancy um and so they're all about the undead and trying to make the entire world into like an undead kingdom um and so they're really hard to beat in the game and they're really hard to beat here in the movie and so i loved that they were included in that whole side of possible characters you would encounter is uh magical undead <laughs> it's pretty hard to be oh yeah that,
1: that <laughs> does not sound like fun
0: no uh so that's re- why the red wizards are so formidable um the spells and the weapons that they use are oftentimes things from the actual game um you may have noticed the one guy that the paladin fights has the green flame blade
1: yeah that was really cool
0: Yeah, so it's a a magical, enhanced sword. Um, They also have uh, spells like Misty Step, where you can sort of poof from place to place. Um, Teleport, which is represented by the Hither Hither thither Staff. That's hard to say.
1: Yeah, say that three times fast.
0: Yeah, Uh, and then the other thing I loved is... uh, A character that has done a lot of spells and stuff as well. I love that they included prestidigitation, which is where uh, the red wizard makes her finger icy and sticks it in the hot tea. It's basically minor magical effects.
1: I I didn't know that you were actually going to stick your finger in. I'll just, I'll set that over here for later. Yeah. Uh, That was great.
0: (laughs) And also another cool thing that they added in the movie that I thought was so fun was that the other players that you see uh, fighting during the arena scene, along with our main characters, are actually cameos from the D&D cartoon um, that they're playing with. So I just thought that that was a fun thing that they added that you wouldn't necessarily know unless you were familiar with D&D or had watched the cartoon. So anyway, just thought that was cool.
1: That's so awesome to hear that so much of what they do use here in the film you know comes straight from the game. You know, I got to ask you then, was there anything about the film that you felt was off or you didn't like at all in that sense?
0: One thing was they kind of misrepresented um the whole thing with the owl bear. So an, an owl bear is real in the game as well. Um however, it's not actually a Form that a druid can turn into in the game, and the interesting thing is a lot of things that they did here in the movie. Some of the things they added that are not in the game, they then actually have now added to D and D from the movie.
1: Interesting.
0: However, they have not added that yet.
1: Well, give us an owl bear.
0: I know. Come on. As a dwarf druid in one of my games, I would like to be able to turn into an owl bear. Thank you very much. Not just fight I, one.
1: Yeah. I want I want to bring one home. So just so, saying, yeah, be really so, cool.
0: Anyway, that's my one gripe. Um, but like I said, I think there's so much that they had to limit it, and they chose some well-known things yeah. to feature.
1: Well, and I think you know that's also something that is, you know, smart about anything. Right? Is if you're drawing from comics or anything like this, and and it's it's where can okay, you you also make something kind of your own at the same time you know mm-hmm. and and if you do it well enough and it sounds like you feel like they did yes so therefore that's that's good storytelling right taking something and and kind of crafting it and and and, and making it work for your story and, and doing it well enough where people who you know know the material inside and out are like Oh, that's cool. I want that, you know? Um, Right, yeah. (laughs) It reminds me of in uh, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, Uh, J.K. Rowling actually loved the uh, little deadhead things that they had. And she's like, I wish that I had created those, you know? So it was one of those things where the production designers and, and and everything were able to create something that the creator of the world loved and thought, man, I, I you know, I wish they had done that. And so it sounds like some of those things like the druid being able to turn into the owlbear is something that fans playing the game would actually like to see happen. So I mean mm-hmm. that that sounds like a plus for them. <laughs>
0: Oh, yeah, major plus. So, yeah, I think that's a small gripe. And overall, I do think they did a very good job at adapting a game to a movie where there would have been a lot of ways to go wrong.
1: (laughs) So, on top of that, you know, we, we have a story to which I feel like has a lot of parts, but isn't necessarily so overwhelming that you can't understand it. And, you know, we have the bard Edgin, who, you know, he had been a member of the Harper's which is a peacekeeping organization and he ends up making a mistake that gets his wife killed by a red wizard and ends up you know, they have had a child and he goes off the deep end and you know, meets up with uh, Holga and they kind of start to create a new life for themselves which is one that ends up turning to thievery because, well, he's not making any money and neither is she, and so they find a sorcerer and then they find the uh, the rogue forge and they start this this, uh, journey together and they get so good at it that they do attract uh, somebody's attention who wants them to steal something. Uh, And so while they raid a stronghold of the Harpers, uh you end up with Holga and Edgen getting caught and thrown into prison. Uh and when they're double crossed, Forge takes uh Edgen's daughter, becomes Lord of Neverwinter, which is really all a part of this mysterious character who had hired them to steal something from the Harper stronghold, Sophina, uh, because really she's a red wizard who wants to turn the entire city of neverwinter into an undead army Mm -hmm. and so what did you how did you feel like they did with the story here especially you know you've played the game you understand everything but uh did you feel like that they did a good job of crafting a story that you enjoyed watching as basically a campaign uh on film and that then you felt like was something that, oh, th- this does a good job of introducing this to people and maybe they'll want to play it.
0: Yeah. I mean, they did, they really did do a good job here of taking even more things from the actual gaming world and then just adding some things that make sense story wise to connect them, sort of like we were talking about earlier. So, um, you have a really character and emotional based story with Edgin kind of being the centerpiece to all of it. Um, and everyone would want to go for a, along for that ride of wanting him to get back to his daughter. Um, and I think they show that too, when he's, it's so funny, he's telling his backstory, which is what you would have to do the first, uh, time you play a new campaign anyway, is tell what your character's backstory is. Um, But he does get kind of emotional. Um, And side note, they then bring in another D&D reference. um, A race called an Aarakocra, the bird, that they jump on and land on the ground with. Um, So, you know, they do, like I said, then have a really great overall story for any movie that's going to drive everything else around it. And then adding in the side with Safina and her goals... I think that it just makes it even better. And then they're still then tying together what's the the party's main objective, what's the villain's objective, and then making that make sense with the worlds that they're bringing together, like Neverwinter is a real place. Um, And even the the prison that they're in, Revel's End, although they didn't create that itself, it's still a lot of things that were in the actual game that they're then connecting and overall have a good story. And like we talked about earlier, like that that whole heist kind of plot to go with it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, again, I think this is, this is so interesting because, you know, so many times I'm not in this position where, and I feel like I'm the one who's being like Mr. Judgy Judgerton uh, you know, of of whether or not something is is good or has been done well, or because it connects with, you know, the the story that's coming from. But to me, you know, a, a coming at this as a novice, not knowing anything, I feel like that they created a very good story here. That, like you mentioned, there's some actual real heart to. And I think the thing that it does is that it allows you to be pulled into the story and it become actually about these characters and their emotional well-being, what they're going through, what's happened to them in their life, the way their choices have uh, impacted them, and all those type of things Mm -hmm. that really make this more than just an adventure you go on that's fun and, and goofy. And to me, that's the thing I love about it. Uh, And I really enjoyed about this film was that I didn't have to know the entire universe and everything that was happening in it, in the sense of like knowing all the details and uh, being able to pull out everything, you know, all the little Easter eggs, because the storyline itself I felt like was moving enough and fun enough in all the right ways that. I was just in, having a good time. Um, and I was invested in the story. And I was invested with what was happening with the characters. And to me, that's what makes a successful movie any movie, right? Mm-hmm. That's what you want. And so this, the fact that they were able to do that in a movie that I had no idea that that was going to happen, I thought was great. And... I really enjoyed the way in which, you know, and I could tell, you know, we talked about how last, you know, last week we were talking about John Wick 4, that there are parts of it that kind of feel video game related, right? And there were places in this where I could also feel that sense of that this does feel like a game, that there's a quest that gets built into a quest that leads you to the next quest, which leads you to the finale, right? And, but I felt like that was done organically that there isn't anything wrong with it. And it should feel like that because that's where it's coming from. It's coming from this game that is built on these quests. And so I, I really enjoyed it and I I thought that they did a great job. Like you even mentioned pulling from the game where you have the introduction and the, and you pull the heartstrings immediately. And then it also becomes that thing too, where yeah we tell you the story but then there's other parts of the story that you don't quite know yet until later on when it's revealed where it's deeper and you know I think all that was just it was really well crafted and, and I'm glad I don't know what the scripts looked like beforehand but I feel like you know the the balancing of the tone of fun and serious was you know, pretty perfect in this movie, and that played out in the story where there's plenty of humor, uh, but there's also, you know, quite a few times where the movie slows down and allows us to be able to connect with these characters as people and get into their psyche a little bit that allows us to be even more connected with them and I just didn't know that that would happen in this film and I also think that it comes down to the cast and you know I love Chris Pine I've always loved Chris Pine uh you know I thought he was great all the way back in The Princess Diaries 3 mhm and so uh but the the beauty of Chris Pine and the way that he plays roles especially a role like this is is that he can turn on a dime from being sarcastic and silly to being emotionally heart-rending and he does it so well and it feels so smooth as a transition when he does it and he was the perfect choice i think for this character Uh, and because too as roguish as he can be uh there is a good heart to him like you know, we all feel it in the characters that he plays, mm-hmm. and so I, I I thought he was a fantastic choice for this role, and uh, I, I I mean, in 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 all honesty, I felt like you know he he really holds this movie up, uh, and his character and the way that he portrays everything that the character goes through, I thought was exactly what it needed to be to draw me in at all the right moments to keep me invested in the film. And I thought he was fantastic.
0: Yeah, I think there's two people here that are vital to making this film work. And that's him and Michelle Rodriguez. And because obviously, too, the story really centers around him first, but then also how she becomes part of his story um, and has the relationship like she does with his daughter. But yeah, I mean, I'm right with you. Chris Pine has always been a favorite of mine. Um, I felt like when they n- announced him originally cast as a young Captain Kirk, I was like, absolutely.
1: Yes. I yeah. couldn't
0: see anyone else doing it as well as him. Um, And he can, like you said, like s- so well play that very emotional, heart wrenching or serious dramatic scene as much as he can be funny. And, um, is really amazing to see how he can become a character because he's done so many that are so different. I mean, you know, if you think of him even in Wonder Woman, yeah, I mean, oh, he's, he's great, he's so versatile. Um, and so, yeah, I, I was thrilled to see him here as the bard. Um, and my favorite scene of this whole movie is well, two scenes one, when he is, um, it's the illusion of him dancing and singing,
1: yes. Yeah, that was fantastic. It was
0: like when he clicks his heels, it's just so perfect. Um, and then the scene of him saying, I'm the biggest screw up of them all.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: To go to another dramatic scene, you know. I mean, that was like the turning point where they all realize that he's not saying he's better than they are. He's saying right. he's worse. I think you're yeah. all better than me. And I'm just trying to hold it all together. <laughs> so yeah.
1: Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more with you. And I I think you're absolutely right uh, that Michelle Rodriguez, I think, does a great job in the film of, you know, in, in, in some ways, I think she is helped by the fact that this character feels very similar to the one that she plays in the Fast and the Furious films. And yet that's a good role for her. And I think she does it uh, with such honesty. And and I thought that what was great here was the fact that she plays being hurt internally and yet not showing it so well, I thought. Uh, you know, she is a character that she doesn't give a lot away emotionally. And yet there's a part of her face that allows you to see what's going on inside. And I thought she did that great, especially that scene where she's sitting opposite her ex-husband, Bradley Cooper, uh, who wasn't even there uh, because they shot that scene in post-production. And Bradley was completely by himself. She wasn't there. And so the emotion that she pours into that scene it's so real and so genuine and and the and then the emotion that Bradley is pouring back to her in that scene feels the same way and it's crazy to think that yes they were never in the same room and yet i would never have known it i mean i obviously you know they're doing trickery right mm-hmm. uh but you wouldn't have thought oh yeah they're they're not even getting to interact at all together you know they're not even reading lines for each other mhm and so i think that's something that's that's just great uh, about her in the film and um you know she also needs to sell her side of the story like you said as much as chris pine has to sell his side of the story uh and i think you know that's she does a great job
0: uh yeah i i wanted to add to that too that i think also with her in particular, they did such a great job of choosing an actress whose qualities and kind of past roles apply well to playing a barbarian. I think that she does very well at playing someone who's very tough physically, but then, like you said, may have this emotional weight on them. Um, and she plays very well the aspect of D&D that maybe you're not aware of as well, Matt, of that every character has... A stat block where you can roll to determine how much charisma you have, intelligence, wisdom, uh, dexterity, things like that. And that kind of determines what kind of mannerisms you have and what you're best at. And she plays so well a character that has no charisma at all (laughs) and just tells people things that she shouldn't say. Like, yeah, we're going to steal a bunch of stuff.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, I thought she was great. And that's fun to to know that that type of thing, again, comes straight from the game. And, you know, I think Justice Smith also does a great job as, as Simon and, and probably going to say that over and over again. But, you know, he really pulls off this role of being a person who is so full of self-doubt and in some ways self-loathing that he can't be the best version of himself. You know, he struggles with his abilities because he doesn't believe in himself. He doesn't think anybody else really believes in him, even though they tell him they do. And he just, again, uh, he has some great funny lines, uh, but I also feel like, you know, what's great is that his story becomes a, a real catalyst for one of the major themes in the film. So To me, you know, it was another good choice here in casting.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, and I mean, like the way it was written and the way he played it was so good about showing that it also takes confidence in what you're doing to prove to other people that you're capable of it. So you could walk in a room and not actually know a single spell, but if you act like, oh, I know all of the spells, people will be like, okay, do your thing, man. So I think that he as an actor did such a great job at showing that once he had confidence, he was able to do so much more and just felt better about really getting in there and trying. Um. And I love that they showed the scene where he finally realizes that the person holding him back is himself. When he punches the illusion of his grandfather in the face and then it's him. And it's so true. I mean, it's funny. That's another D&D feature is, you know, that sometimes um you are holding yourself back because... You need to learn your character better or you need, you know, like for a sorcerer in particular, there's an enormous list of hundreds of spells and you only have a certain number that you're allowed to prepare every day. And so then you have to make sure you choose the right ones to prepare and that you know how they work very well and how to use them in the right situation. So that can even be a difficult thing as a player, And I think that that comes across, too, in his performance, is that he's got to figure out what's the right one to use in each situation. And then that they add that function that is actually true, that magic doesn't just fix every situation either.
1: No, I thought that was excellent. Uh, And it really does, I think, add to the movie. And, of course, you know, I'm sure it adds to the game because that's the way the game's played, too. You know, you can't just fix every situation situation with magic. That's just not how it works. And Mm -hmm. so no, he he was great in that. And Sophia Lillis uh is Doric. I really enjoyed her whole performance. She did such a great job of of playing aloof without being without being uninteresting. Mm -hmm. And uh I, I think too the beauty of of who they chose is you have this person who kind of has this elfine, angelic nature to them from the outside, and then can turn into a raging monster, uh, which is is fantastic. So I I loved her performance, and I'd be really interested just to see her in more things. I thought she was great.
0: Yeah, this is the first thing I've seen her in, and she really impressed me with the way that she was able to portray that kind of innocence, I would say, Um you know, seeming that she's not really been in a lot of fights, but that she cares a lot about why they're fighting and that she is ultimately fighting to save her home for the people that have adopted her as one of their own, Um, which I loved right. again, you know, talking about the backstory of a race like a tiefling. That is what they're all about, that they basically are a um, amalgamation of demon and human. And so oftentimes are very outcast because everyone sees them as other and weird. And so she's had to find her way. And that's what you would do in the game if you're playing a tiefling. So um, I think that she pulled that off very well. And then having all the functions of being a druid and especially of, um, you know, being a circle of the moon druid, which are a lot more nature related um, powers and things that they can shape into made it really cool. And uh, getting to see the different things that they allowed her to do with that in the movie, not just the owl bear, but you know, I, I guess they didn't really show this in the movie, but something that, you know, they allude to with her being part of this lush forest is that they're very connected to nature druids are and so she can turn into things like an eagle or an owl bear or a mouse or a deer easily
1: yeah i i think the thing that i really just liked about her is that it it left me thinking wow, I want to see more of this character in mm-hmm. things. Like, you know, and, and and so, Hugh Grant, great. Like, I think he was a fantastic casting choice because he plays this type of self-absorbed, self-obsessed character so well. Mm-hmm. And he does it in a way that you just completely buy. And... I think part of that is that there is this roguishness about him. I mean, if you've ever seen him in interviews and stuff, he's very blunt, you know, and and uh, not afraid to say things that you, you maybe shouldn't say. And this character is much like that, especially when he thinks he has the upper
0: hand. So he was just fantastic. And by contrast, his character had very high charisma, if you couldn't tell. He could talk anyone into anything. (laughs) So, you know, that was great that they made him a con man. And that he was able to then talk his way into becoming Lord of Neverwinter. And convincing someone else's daughter that he would be a better father for her. Um, All of these kind of things play into that. And so, yeah, I think that casting Hugh Grant in that role... It makes you even wonder if, like you said, he as a person outside of any movie role is kind of that way as well.
1: Couldn't agree with you more. Um, You know, I I think... One of the... And you mentioned this uh, when we were talking about Simon. But I, I was just really struck that this movie was so much about having to face yourself. And... Not just face yourself, but it was is important to be faced with the reality of who you are because it's only in light of reality that you can find a way to move past wherever you are and whoever you are if if you're never if you never see yourself for who you truly are in reality, uh you're always going to be in your own little world you're always going to be missing it you're always going to be. Somewhat lost. And I love that with all of these characters, we have to see them come to th- face-to-face with that. You know, Edgen, seeing that he's a bad father, that he hasn't been the man that he's pretended to be, you know, or thought he maybe was, mm-hmm. when he really stops and thinks about it, no, he's not been a great father. And Simon needing to see that the person he needs to stand up most to is himself, you know, and that being a part of a legacy, you know, he's, he's this legacy wizard, right? Is it just about trying to live up to the name, but it's, it's about trying to prove what you can do and mm-hmm. not about what everybody else has done. Um, you know, I, I, even that, you know, Holga having to kind of see that, some of her choices are what led her to being in a place where her husband leaves, mm-hmm. right? You know, I think all of these things, a lot of them come down to something that we talked about, obviously, with the John Wick series of consequences for our actions. And I think that mo- that this movie talked a lot about that, too. Part of facing the reality of who you are is how you got there, mm-hmm. right? And that... That's a hard thing to do, and so the fact that this movie, I think, hit that so beautifully and so well was something I was not expecting at all, and I really appreciated this, that this movie went to that kind of thematic level, and I think pulled it off beautifully,
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it blew me away the depth of the emotion that they had in some of these stories and, and then how they all weave together. And I think that for sure, that whole scene about, um, Holga having to realize that she's been telling herself that she wasn't in the wrong. It was her ex-husband's fault that everything ended up the way that it did, um, was wrong and that sort of like you said like she was living in her own world that she made up of the reasons for things and it wasn't the truth at all and in a loving way her friend Edgen is helping her to get there but she also has to directly confront her ex-husband and talk to him and he tells her she's wrong and this is the reason why and that she ended up in this circle of Blaming things on him, but actually never letting go of her past. And because she couldn't let go of her past is why he couldn't ever get into her heart and had to end things. And I love that each of them have this deep story like that. And that's what you want as well. It's so funny that you know the similarity between writing a good screenplay and writing a good d d campaign is the same. That you want above, above all for the game to not just be a bunch of people that happen to be traveling together. You want there to be a purpose and a depth to the story and things to come out like childhood trauma or, um, you know, realizing that they've been a bad father and they want to make up for that. You know, that there are these big themes that have a, a play in a role in how their future ends up.
1: Yeah. Yep. No, I, I mean, I, I, again, I think the thing that just surprised me the most was just coming into this movie and I had no idea that there would be this kind of level of depth to it at all. Mm -hmm. And there was another thing that stood out to me, which was, you know, again, says that there's, there are worse things than death. And like, for him, living without love and connection and community and the the love of his life being taken away from him. Um, there are things that are worse than death. And I loved that this movie then, in the end, we see these people creating their own family. You know, they break down those barriers that have been put up between these different races of people, different types of being To find harmony and shared purpose and shared values and love together, which is very different from the world that they're in, where everybody's kind of segregated and and sticks to their own for the most part, it seems like, and where then people treat each other badly because of that as well. And I just think that, that was another thing that I really appreciate about this movie, and it wasn't like overly preachy. I just thought it was fantastic uh, Mm -hmm. to see. It was one of those things where I felt like the movie had earned that moment. And it was really well done.
0: And, I mean, I even took another thing from that saying that there are worse things than death. Because I'm thinking about also, I know I keep bringing it back to game mechanics, but like having to live knowing that something was your fault that you can't undo um th- that there are things in the game like if you're in a fight and you didn't use the right spell to help one of your other party members and their character dies at a certain point sometimes you know you've had their death and they do like a couple of death saves or sometimes they are just dead period. And there is nothing you can do about it. And you feel like, Oh crap, it's my fault that their character is now over and they've got to create a new character. Like they're not coming back. (laughs) But you know, in this sense, it's like obviously a lot bigger than that because it's actually talking about people's lives, not just a character. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, but I mean, I I think
1: I I love what you're saying there, though, because it really does become about how the actions that you take affect others, right? right? That it's not just about you. And I think that's one of the big things in the film is that, you know, you have a character like Forge who cares nothing about others, right? And in the end, his selfishness leaves him alone. Mm-hmm. Whereas these other characters have found this found family that they've created, right? Um, you get that moment, too, of uh, Edgin being willing to sacrifice everything that he desires, which is to have his wife back, for what's better for his daughter at that point, and what's better for his friend. Mm-hmm. Right? And because... His daughter doesn't know her mother. She didn't grow up with her. To her, her mother is Holga mm-hmm. for all intents and purposes. And so the idea of self-sacrifice and being willing to do that for the, the, the benefit of others, I think completely is a part of this. You know, So I'm so glad that you brought that up because I think know it 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 fits into everything that this film was doing and i think again i think it did it really well and it did it in a way that it's not overboard it's not in your face like you know nobody's preaching at you they're actually just showing you the theme without mm-hmm. having to tell it to you and that's the best um, i love when that happens and so speaking of showing us things I wanted to know how you felt about because a movie like this, so much of it comes down to the action and the effects work that they're doing. And how did you feel like that they did on that front? Did they do a good job of bringing this all to
0: life? I think especially for me, the effects stood out above everything because I think that here you have to have good effects for it to come across with the magic that they're doing with the different characters. Um, especially i mean i love the scenes where they actually show the red wizards rising up and having those like tendrils of red smoke coming down yeah um or like the black tentacles that she has capture each of the campaign uh, the party members um and you know like the green flame blade or the dragons i mean i think that it really did look good for the time that we're in the quality of effects you could do I think it stood up to that. And also, they had some really interesting things that they threw in, like making the dragon chubby was so yeah, funny.
1: That was hilarious.
0: Because you just see it come out of the cave a little at a time and you're just not expecting it. So, um, and then the action, I got to say, I think that the choreography, especially in the fights, was really good. Um, they make it look realistic. Um, and especially then, you know, the way that they're having the actress uh, that plays Safina move to show she's casting different things was so good. Um, and then combining that with the costumes. Yeah, I-, I have no complaints for the action or the effects. What about you?
1: I absolutely loved it. I thought all of it was great. Uh, I would say for the most part, I- I do- the effects are not you know avatar way of water level very few things are mm-hmm. but i felt like the effects were consistent so yeah. i was pulled out of it really very many scenes you know um and i felt th- felt like they just did a great job of creating this world i thought the action was fantastic like you said the fight scenes especially the one in the end dark the f- the sword fight scene there was great uh, you know, and uh, I even loved, you know, they showed part of it in the trailer, but I thought it was still great in the movie, uh, where they're first escaping, you know, and she's using the the street brick. Uh, that was fantastic. And, you know, there's just like so much of this movie that I really enjoyed watching. And part of it, I felt like, it. you know, everything was working in concert together uh, to, to really make this fly, you know? And I think another part of that too, on top of the action and effects for me was I'm not a, I haven't always been a huge fan of Lorm Balf and, and his music, but I thought he created a great theme for this film and did a soundtrack that fit perfectly with exactly what you needed this movie to sound like. And I really love that. And I think, you know, all together it created exactly
0: what you want. Yeah, I you know, I'm not usually the music person when it comes to movies either. Um, but I think that here I was really impressed with how it came together with the kind of feel that you want from the music here. I think especially for a fantasy adventure, you want something that sounds very old worldly, almost like um medieval. And, um, you really got across that kind of minstrel feel with uh the bard, and I liked the songs that they added with you know the one that he sings, and then also the one that he and Holga sing together as they're writing um It just feels like it fits in that world so well, and it's now stuff that I want to look up and like get the album so um, I think that. He did something that fits so naturally with the kind of movie they're making. And that's what I wanted. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I could not agree with you more. So, Christy, uh, we're at that time of the show where we've had, I think, just so much fun talking about this film, which I'm kind of on the edge of my seat as to what you're going to rate Dungeons and Dragons honor among thieves.
0: So I went back and forth on it a little bit. I think that ultimately, because of a couple little things that I would like to be improved upon slightly, I have to ding it a little bit. But as a person that has been playing D&D now for four or five years, um, and my husband even longer, it's something that I really wanted them to do well because I don't want people that are not familiar with Dungeons and Dragons to have a bad taste in their mouth um, or possibly think that D&D is a joke. Um, And I felt that they really honored the source material here and learned about it in order to make a good movie. Um, I even found out that behind the scenes, apparently when they first got to Iceland to start filming, um, the main actors played... D and D campaign together,
1: yeah, that was great. I I read that too.
0: Yeah, and so it's like that's what you want because that also then informs how they're going to play their characters on screen and how it all meshes together the way it does. So yeah, I mean, I think there's really very few things I would change, but you know, I said you know I I like I would have liked if they did continue on adding things to the game from the movie. By adding the owl bear feature for druids, please uh putting it out there if you if you give us a review of this show, please uh include that in your review for Hasbro to change um and uh and i I would have liked some of you know maybe like the I was thinking about the animal effects when um the druid changes into the deer looked maybe a little bit weaker than it could have been. But
1: yeah, I can understand that.
0: I would say overall, I'm incredibly impressed with how well they honored the game itself um, and the difficulty of making this kind of thing and doing it so simplified for audiences of every experience level to enjoy. So I give it a four and a half out of five Arakokras.
1: Ah, that's great. Well. I'm right there with you in the sense that I really enjoyed this film. I thought it was so much fun. My wife and I kind of came out of it both, like, telling friends about it by texting him, being like, Dungeons and Dragons was so much fun. And <laughs> I think everybody should see this movie. It's it's just a blast. And it's a movie I not only can't wait to see again, but I can't wait to own it home and just pop in and enjoy Anytime, because this is that type of movie. Uh, and I'm going to give this four out of five pudgy dragons. Nice. Thank you. Thank you.
0: And now you're going to play D&D, right?
1: Well, I have to find some people. I only have one friend who plays it here. And she already kind of has her own little group. So okay. that might be a possibility. We'll see. Uh, but I would not be above wanting to play it. Because it does look like it would be fun. Uh, but Christy... It is that time of the show where we do some recommendations for people. So I'm excited to see what you wanted to recommend to everybody this week.
0: Well, obviously, I'm going to recommend not only that people play Dungeons & Dragons, um, which you can play online, by the way. They have a platform called Roll20. So you could play with me and other people across the world at the same time over like a Zoom meeting. Just saying. Um but I also recommend trying out role-playing games in general, because like you said, there are several D and D is not the only one. So I highly recommend checking that out. It basically, if you're not familiar is like being an actor or actress. Um, and then you really get to design how you play your character based on, like I said, what your stats end up being and what race and class you choose. Um, I personally, in our D&D games, play a tiefling bard in one game, and then in the other am a dwarf druid. Um, and my dwarf was inspired by Madame Mim. Very nice. So try role-playing games, and especially try D&D, please, for me. Yeah, that's
1: so cool. Well, I'm going to recommend to everybody this week uh, something that is is really important. Uh, I'm going to recommend you go to apple podcasts and give us a star rating review uh so we have some new reviews to read out in the show because it's been a long time and we would love to know what you think uh and again we read those out and they help other people find the show Uh, and i know we say all the time but that's my recommendation to everybody this week because it would be a huge benefit for the 602 club and trying to help us grow so please go do that But Christy, if people wanted to catch up and see, you know, what's happening in your life outside of the 602 Club, where could they find you?
0: Of course, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter and Letterboxd at Bespin Bell, where oftentimes, too, I'll show what's going on with our D&D game or what dice I bought recently. Just throwing that in there, too. Uh, and then, of course, when I'm not here, I'm either in the Babel Conference or doing another show with my friends Amanda and Teresa called Sabers and Spells on the Skywalking Through Neverland Network. But what about you?
1: Well, uh, you could find me all over the place on social media under the name Rushing 2 Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and Vero are the places that I am most active. You can also find me doing a bunch of other shows here on the network. Literary Treks about the books and the comics of Star Trek. The Orb about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Warp 5 about Star Trek Enterprise, Saddle Up about Strange New Worlds, which is going to be returning soon, so I'm excited to talk about that. And then last but not least, uh, you can also find me on the Artificial Tango talking about the final season of Star Trek Picard now with Chris Jones, and it is blast. We hope you will check that out. You can also find me over on the Nerd Party Network doing two shows. One is called Owlpost with Dre Kaufman, as we talked about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series one chapter at a time. And you can also find me doing aggressive negotiations with the great John Mills as we talk about Star Wars each and every week.
0: But thank
1: you so much for joining us.
0: And just pay them with magic.